smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we continue our series on Bible reading tools. Matt Waldron speaks to us from 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 to chapter 4, verse 3, on the person of Christ. Here's Matt. Okay, so the center of all the Bible's teaching, the central focus is the gospel. So that's the message of Jesus, who he is, that's supposed to be a crown, and what he's done, which I'll represent by a cross. Excellent. So last week we looked at the work of Jesus, what he's done. He's lived and died and been raised to life again. And in all those things, he's fulfilling the Old Testament roles of the prophet, the priest, and the king. So... uh, This week, we're going to look at who Jesus is. And the first thing to see is just like last week we saw in the Bible, that what Jesus has done is absolutely of first importance. We need to notice that who Jesus is, is absolutely central. So we uh, just had read to us 1 John from chapter 3, verse 19 to 4, verse 2. I just want to show you two things there quickly. 1 John chapter 4 starts out like this dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god because many false prophets have gone out into the world so there are lots of people teaching wrong things and they might be motivated inspired or guided by false spirits or deceiving spirits or evil spirits so then in verse 2 he says this is how you can recognize the spirit of god so when people are teaching stuff this is how you can tell where they're whether they're being led and whether they're be, they're teaching what comes from the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So what's his basic litmus test? Do they acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh? So notice there are kind of two halves to that. Uh, One is that he's come, and the other is that he's come in the flesh. It would, of course, be possible to believe that Jesus came from outside the world, but he, he didn't actually have flesh. He just looked like he had flesh. Or it would be possible to believe that Jesus has flesh, but he didn't come from anywhere else. He was just an ordinary person. And he says that every spirit that does not acknowledge this, that Jesus has come in the flesh, Every spirit does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So there's there's acknowledging that Jesus has come in the flesh, that he's both God come to this world and he came in the flesh. He's God and he's human. Or there's not acknowledging Jesus. So just at the end of chapter 3, he gets into this because he's talking about what God requires of us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is God's command to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. That's that's what God requires of us, to believe in Jesus and to love one another. And then he goes on to say, if people are teaching you something other than Jesus Christ came in the flesh, then they're not teaching the right stuff. If you want to believe in Jesus, you need to believe in who He actually is, that He really is God and that He really is God human otherwise you're not really believing in him so very quickly i want to give you i'm I'm not going to you know give you a a full defense of uh 
Jesus being both God and human, what I want to do is give you an, a way of remembering what that actually means. What does it mean for Jesus to be both God and human? And so uh, I'm going to do a few pictures and words that hopefully there'll be something in there you can get a handle on that'll help you to remember. So Jesus is God, Jesus is human. Firstly, we're going to see that uh, Jesus shares God's glory. So this is in John chapter 17, verse 5. John chapter 17, verse 5 says this. Jesus is praying and he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus shared God's glory. I'm going to draw a cloud to remind us of the glory cloud in the Old Testament. That represented God's glory. And the other thing we get in this verse is that Jesus had this with God before the world began. I'm going to draw a baby and then cross out the baby. Pre-existent, existed before the world. Uh, the next one's in John 16, just the previous chapter, verses 29 to 31. Uh, Jesus has been explaining for like three chapters what's going on. And uh, finally, verse 29, Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you come from God. Jesus replied, Do you now believe? So Jesus, uh, just like God, has this knowledge of all things. He doesn't have the kind of limits in the world that we have. Rather, he is in some sense infinite with regard to the world. So I'm going to put infinite. Uh, back in John chapter 5, verses 20 to 23, Jesus tells us clearly that he is going to judge the world, which, uh, if you read the Old Testament, is clearly God's job. So John chapter 5, verses 20 to 23, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father." Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is very clear. God the Father entrusts judgment of the world to the Son so that people will honor Jesus as the judge the way they're supposed to honor God. That would only be appropriate if he's God. Okay, anyway, so uh, he's the judge. So I'm going to draw a gavel. And uh, finally... Uh, Jesus received worship. So John chapter 20, verses 26 to 29. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead. And you'll remember Thomas wasn't with him when he first appeared to the disciples. So a week later, he appears to the disciples again. And this time Thomas is there. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas addresses Jesus as my Lord and my God, the way you're supposed to address God. Jesus And Jesus says, great, you believe in me. He receives that worship. Uh, I'm going to put worshipped. Uh, now, I'm going to try and draw the Ark of the Covenant, but I'm going to keep it very simple. I'm just drawing a box with a pole for carrying it. Uh, okay, so here are five ways uh, that the Bible records that Jesus uh, is God. He shared God's glory. He existed before the world. He, in some sense, knew all things. He's going to judge the world and he was worshipped. The confusing thing is, none of these things describe human beings. And yet at the same time, Jesus is human. So we saw in that passage we just read, where uh, Thomas addresses and worships Jesus as my Lord and my God. But just before that, Jesus says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Here, you know, here is my body. You can touch it. You can see the scars from my execution two days ago. So that's still in John 20. We see that Jesus has a body and he still had a body after he was raised from the dead. So obviously before he was born, he didn't have a body. He was God the Son. But he stayed God and also got a body and he still has his body. So that brings us to the fact that he was born. So I'm going to have my baby picture again. Uh, in Luke uh, chapter 2, for example, we have the announcement uh, and the recording of Jesus' birth. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And just in case anyone wants to come up with some weird explanation for how uh, you know, Mary didn't really have a baby, but she thought she did, some angels come and say, this is what happened. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Jesus really was born. Uh, also, Jesus didn't know everything. I know I've just said he knows everything, but he also didn't know everything. So uh, Matthew 24, uh, Jesus says this. Matthew 24, verses 36 to 41. This is where Jesus is talking about the future and what's going to happen. Uh, the thing that's difficult about understanding this uh, chapter is that uh, Jesus' disciples almost certainly had uh, a kind of expectation that all the future would kind of happen at once. And uh, Jesus is trying to help them see that there's going to be some stages. And so it's a bit difficult to know which bit he's talking about at which part. 
But in terms of when it's going to happen, Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So Jesus is talking about when he comes, when he's going to come back, I think, and says it's going to be like with Noah. In the days of Noah, nobody knew when the flood was coming until it came. That was the whole point. And similarly, when Jesus comes to judge, there's not going to be like extra warning. He's just going to turn up. And so he says, only God the Father knows when that's going to be. It is planned, but only God the Father knows. The angels in heaven don't know, nor the Son. He's going to write finite. I'm going to draw a circle kind of representing you know, having limitations. Okay, uh, Jesus was tempted. God can't be tempted because he's the judge. Jesus is the judge, but he was tempted. So for example, Matthew 4 then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be, well, tested by the devil. Let's go with the most conservative translation. But after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So uh, Jesus was tempted. I'm going to attempt to draw a snake. Uh, and finally, uh, I had down Matthew 26 to say that Jesus worshipped. Oh, so this is, is worships. Jesus was worshipped, and he did worship as well. Uh, and I'm going to try and draw some stereotypical praying hands. Uh, and that's the Garden of Gethsemane uh, reference. But we also saw it in this temptation narrative. He's quoting the Bible to resist temptation. He has angels. Um, and in the, obviously in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is desperately uh, crying out to God the Father to uh, change his mind about what needs to happen in his... So these, we, we could you know, look at more examples, but... Uh, my aim here is not to convince you it's true, but just to show you that there's actually practical detail where Jesus can uh, claim to be God, to share God's glory, to have existed before the world, to know everything, to be the judge, to receive worship. And at the same time, he has a body. He was born. He doesn't know everything. He was tempted. He worships God. So these are practical reality it's not just kind of a nice philosophical theory that jesus you know it's kind of good to think of him as god it's good to think no no this is the concrete reality of jesus's experience
It's hard to imagine that because we're not God, but that's, that's the concrete, practical reality. So what does this mean for us? Well, let me uh, read just to close from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Here he's encouraging them that they've uh, been taught by God to love each other and so to keep trying to do that more and more by making it their ambition to lead a quiet life. The biggest way we've been taught by God to love is that God himself came into the world to love us. But he didn't come in as a superhero. He came and became human and lived a pretty obscure life. Uh, some of us are tempted to want to be all things to all people. I know for myself, uh, if someone in my family is not well or not being looked after or even just not happy, my instant reaction is to think, I need to fix that, as if that's my job. Some of us in our workplaces feel like if everything in the workplace isn't going smoothly, we need to do something about it. Jesus did not try to do that. He was fully, he is fully human. He did not try to heal everybody. He came to preach and he didn't even try and preach to the whole world. He just preached to the people that God had chosen. He didn't try and show himself in his resurrection to all people, just an even smaller remnant that God had chosen to be witnesses for us. Of course, the flip side to that temptation is the temptation to think the world's problems are too big and I can't do anything and it's not worth trying. But actually, we all need to do our part because we've been taught by God to love each other. God himself, eternally glorious, knowing everything, controlling everything, being everywhere, the one who will come to judge us all, the one who deserves all worship, he came into the world to serve us. And so we always can seek to love each other more and more to influence the rest of the world. We all must do our part. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your eternal Son to take to himself a human nature to die for our sin. Thank you that he's raised to life again, still fully God still fully human. And so, Father, please inspire us by Jesus. Help us to believe in Jesus. Help us to see more clearly your love for us in Jesus so that we will keep doing more and more to do our part to love others. But help us also to see that Jesus is human, and we can't be all things to all people. And so help us to lead quiet lives serving you.
Amen.